Joe Pags Show. To talk to Joe, call 888-941-PAGS. And now, it's Joe Pags. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Lots going on, lots to get to, lots to talk about. It is the Joe Pags Show. This hour, it's going to be former Energy Secretary Dan Bruyette. He was the last Secretary of Energy, and he was in office until Donald Trump left office. So what exactly is waiting? What exactly is sitting there? What exactly is it that um, that Jennifer Granholm could do if she chose to do it? Because the Biden administration is lying badly. I mean, they're lying big time. So um, what exactly is it? that Granholm could do, that they're not doing, and what is she doing instead? I think that's interesting. Also, Curtis Lee was going to be in hour number three. Make sure you stick around for that. There's a lot of crime going on in New York City, and New York City's not getting any better. I literally asked him, give me a positive about New York City, and he couldn't, and he should know. He's a guy who bleeds in New York City. It is uh, the Joe Pag Show. Glad to have you here on a Wednesday. Come on. Let's go. That is K in for Carrie. Appreciate you. That's Polo getting it done. Sam making it happen. I'm your talk monkey, Joe Pags. I'm doing the stanky leg right now. You just can't see my leg. This is the Lombada, maybe? No, that's not the Lombada. This is the Ocarina, this thing. All that, all this, all that, something like this. Like a shake or something. If you're not getting down, if you're not chair dancing, there's something wrong with you. You got to make it happen, or else you're fired. Let's go. What's that harmony? Okay. All right. There is a lot going on, and a lot I want to talk about. I probably won't play "Living Like a Prayer" or "Living on a Prayer," whatever it is. Um, like a prayer, I think it was Madonna, maybe. She had a song, something like that. Living on a prayer. Probably won't play that in hour number three for the simple reason that I played it yesterday for Carrie. I'm not doing a, that crappy song two days in a row. You know what I'm saying? Paul, you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, sure. She'd get mad if I played My Humps, wouldn't she? Uh, probably. If it's she been a listening. long time since I played that song. No, she's not listening. <laughs> Carrie's off. She's off. She ain't listening. Uh-uh. All right. Uh, there's there's a lot going on, lots that I want to talk about. Uh, we had Zelensky. I've already had people writing me. It's not Vladimir. It's Vladimir or something. I, I don't know. I don't speak Ukrainian. I don't know. So, I mean, we we gave you Zelensky. I know that Pelosi introduced him as Vladimir today, um, and I'm not, I haven't heard him say his own name. But having said that, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who for some reason today had the high brows again. Now, listen, I'm not a chick. I don't know how this works. Um, Sam, we'll start with you. I mean, can, can you guys make your eyebrows high whenever you feel like it? Like your eyebrows are normal. They go across your eyes as they should. They look very nice. You got dad's eyebrows. You're welcome. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand though. Nancy Pelosi will have your eyebrows half the time. The other half, they're almost touching her hairline. Yeah. I don't know how she does it, but I can't. Okay. How is this happening? I, I don't know. I can move my eyebrows independent of one another. Right, but can but you that's... leave them up the entire time you're talking? Both of them. N- that's no, really odd. Please I... stop doing that. Really? It doesn't look good? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, but Nancy Pelosi's eyebrows sometimes are like this. Now, I'm going to show her eyebrows to those who are watching on the stream. If you want to see her eyebrows, go to the stream right now. Make sure you stop by JoePags.com and click on Watch Now. 
And look, I, I can't do it. I've got these these big eyebrows. I've got to you know I've got to trim these suckers way too much. And um, I, I cannot do what she's doing now. Half the time, Nancy Pelosi's eyebrows are like mine, are like K's, or like Polo's, or like Sam's, where they're just over your eyes. They're your eyebrows. And then the other half the time, they look like this. I'm not sure what that is, how that happens. I don't know why that's what they look like. I don't know how you keep them up like that. And as she's talking, she makes them go up even higher. And I think even more importantly, what she says, listen, I'm not being mean when I say, I literally mean this. I do, I'm not being funny radio boy, although <laughs> I'm with him, pretty funny. But, but I'm not being that right now. I think she might be drunk. But they know that we can't go there. Uh, they, Putin is trying to bait the trap so that uh, we co- go in and that's the beginning could be the beginning of world war three uh, putin totally irresponsible using weapons that are not allowed under the geneva connect convention putin who uh, threatens chem- use of chemical weapons um nuclear and the rest so nuclear they know the that we can't but it's the ask now he was uh, this morning more let's if we can't have an if we can't have a no-fly zone what let us have our own, and we need the airplanes to come in. What? Somebody asked a question here? No, no, we're, no, no. This morning he was less on the, on the ask for the, um, what? Uh, the policy. I don't know. More what... on let us do it, what? help us get the planes. But also there know. is a school of thought that thinks the anti-aircraft. What? She's flailing her arms up and down. Are a very important way. Myself, when I see that. That those tanks, that what? forty miles of tanks. What do you want to do with them? I'd like to take out those tanks. I mean, I, I think that <laughs> the hell is going on them here? having more planes might be useful. What? But that I'm not a, a military stra- strategist. What? We hope that we will be able to get up to a place. I hope. You ask me how I. I hope that we can get what? to a place where the uh, MIGs, which are the kinds of planes they've been trained on, what can go to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. The F-16s, right. especially if we have an excess of them, right. uh, can backfill. Sure. Right. I mean, I mean did, did I, am I, I'm going to need a ruling. Kay, is she drunk or not? I think she's on, I think she's on meth. I don't even know what Could that be meth. Is. Yeah, could be meth. I did not offer that as a, as a, uh, a possible choice, but okay, I'll go with that. Polo, drunk or not? Uh, definitely confused. Um, yes. I mean, it, it. Could be the Botox. I mean, yeah, there's something up. Sam, drunk or not? I think she's extremely old. I don't think she's drunk <laughs> though. <laughs> you think that, that she broke out with old? Is what you think? <laughs> you know, she broke out with some old while speaking know. to the media. Okay, listen. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the woman didn't say really anything coherent. Um, and again, last week her eyebrows were just flat down over her eyes. They looked fine. They looked normal. Today they're way up. Are, are there two Nancy Pelosi's? I mean, maybe there's a, like a, the stand-in, the impersonator. She didn't know the word strategy. She didn't know the Geneva Convention. She thought it was the Geneva Connection. I mean, I'm, I'm confused about what we just watched and what we just listened to. And this is the leader of the House of Representatives. This is the person who decides which legislation will be called to the House floor and will be voted on. She controls the purse strings. In other words, she controls the budget. If it's a $3 trillion budget, she gets to spend it all however she feels like and then send it over to the Senate and they usually agree with her because the Senate's being run by Democrats too. I don't know what we're watching here. I don't know what it is that we're looking at. And then 
we go back to another very Democrat move, which is never let a serious crisis go to waste. The person who coined that phrase is Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel was in the Obama administration, was his on his campaign. I don't know if he was a campaign manager or not, but he was high up. And then he ended up being the, the mayor of Chicago and really didn't do much for that city either. But Rahm Emanuel said, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And then he said, never let a crisis go to waste. And then Hillary Clinton said, you know, that thing about not letting a crisis go to waste. This is a Democrat playbook issue. And what that means is there's something really big going on. And we might be able to get something done now that you couldn't otherwise get done. Like the transition to the green energy. And Jennifer Granholm was the, was the governor of Michigan. Horrible governor of Michigan. Before that, she was the attorney general. I interviewed her twice. She came on, sat on set with me. Very nice lady. Uh, but she's somebody who is attractive, and she used that to her advantage, or she tried, didn't work on me. But as I was speaking with her, if I, if I wanted to counter what she was saying, she'd, she'd like grab my arm. It was very odd. And I was like, I get what you're doing. I, I don't think that you're making a move on me, but you want me to shut up, and you think that you can make me do so by touching me. Don't. I didn't say that, but I, I, I gave back the body language that, well, that's not going to work. We just got to talk about issues. But Jennifer Granholm went from attorney general, and she was okay, to governor and ruined the state, was horrible, because John Engler was before her, was so much better, had a surplus in everything. It was going to make people who were on welfare actually take a drug test to make sure that they weren't buying drugs with their welfare check. But no, Granholm goes in, brings progressivism, and then somehow, out of the blue, she's the energy secretary. Now, in Michigan, the number one industry is automotive. The number two industry is agriculture. It's not energy. There might be some, but it's not, it's not like high on the list. So there really is no resume for her to be this person other than she can speak pretty well and she's for green energy. So, Kay, you've got a story where Jennifer Granholm basically says, never let a serious crisis go to waste. What do you have? I do indeed. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm believes Russia's invasion of Ukraine creates an urgency for the U.S. Congress to act on a bill to transition the country to green energy. During an event on Wednesday, a reporter asked the Energy Secretary if the administration should pursue a standalone green energy package because you don't have a lot of time to get something, a reconciliation bill, through a Democrat-only Congress. Midterms are coming up. To which Granholm responded, as you can imagine, and as you have heard, there is a lot of conversation that is happening right now in saying that this crisis in Europe and the crisis our allies are facing and the reduction of supply of natural gas and oil from Russia creates a moment we should be acting on. She continued, we heard President Zelensky, we do not want to see any country that is held hostage to Vladimir Putin, and this is a moment for Congress to be able to act. The bottom line is that this is a moment to have this happen. This is an urgent moment. I mean, come on. So, I mean, am I right, Kay, when I say she is literally saying, well, not literally, she's figuratively saying, never let a serious crisis go to waste. Absolutely. I think that's exactly what she's saying. Um, and it doesn't really make any sense because we only got like 3% of our oil from Russia and the gas prices and all that have been going up. Oh, it doesn't have to make any sense. Oh, no, it doesn't have to make any sense. <laughs> you know, you've been here a long time, and I know that you understand American politics very well, but it doesn't matter if there's really a serious crisis that affects us directly. The Russian oil is not something that, 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 directs, that directly affects us. You're right. And also, what, what Putin is doing to Zelensky does not affect our, our energy needs, but 
if you can say, look at what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, she, she actually said it. You just read it. Uh, look at what's happening in Ukraine. It's horrible. We should really switch to green energy. What? They're non sequiturs. It doesn't make any sense. They're not connected whatsoever. I talked specifically to Dan Bruyette about that and also about why Russia took Chernobyl at the bottom of the hour. So we'll get into that in a minute as well. But your thoughts on hearing another Democrat trying to push their green progressive leftist agenda on us because something is happening that doesn't really affect us. But because it's happening right now, we're all concerned about it. We probably should make that transition. You know what we can't do? I'm going to help you out. We cannot make a transition from traditional energy, fossil fuels, to green energy by pressing a button. Her saying now is the time to transition cannot happen. It is something that it's going to happen over decades, and there's nothing wrong with having alternative you know, ways and means of getting energy, but it doesn't mean you have to get rid of the one that you have now. What she's doing is just an agenda item. It doesn't really solve anything because she's trucked around in SUVs by gasoline paid by you and me, by Secret Service or, or other security agents that we pay as well. She has nothing to worry about. The rest of us would suffer. 888-941-PAGS, 888-941-7247. Was Pelosi drunk? Was she high? Was it the Botox? Or, as Sam said, is she just old? Could be that. Or, and Jennifer Granholm, who knows nothing about energy, being the energy secretary, saying, hey, it's time to transition. Your thoughts when we come back. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Lots going on, lots to get to. It's the Joe Pag Show for your Wednesday. We've got Dan Bruyette, the, the energy secretary. When Trump left office, he left with him, and then Jennifer Granholm came in. And what I, I asked him, basically, how did you leave it? And I think that's an important question to ask. And, and Kate, I'm going to take a, a call or two here, but do me a favor and get that Chernobyl story ready that you wrote, because um, we, we talk about that with Dan Bruyette at the bottom as well. So if you don't mind, grab that. In the meantime, let me go to line two, and Sean is in Las Vegas. Sean, what's going on? Hi. Hey, um, I have no idea why we're listening to Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden, these old geriatric, you know, 70-somethings that really have no concept of what's going on in the world. The she, she's over 80. She's actually in her job. 80s, yeah. Well, that's even better then. <laughs> the people that, that are delivering and drilling and buying and selling this oil, they're Americans that have their wits about them. They understand what's going on. Why are we asking permission of the government to give us a a mother may I permission slip to drill this stuff. Let's just go get it out of the ground, buy it and sell it and get America back on its feet. And when Ukraine has a problem, good, give them some MIGs or don't, but you know what? We got our own problems to deal with right now. It's a humanitarian crisis, but it's not our business to deal with. There's plenty of countries over there that can hit stand up for Ukraine. Well, I hear you. And it's an interesting angle, Sean. A couple of things are important. And thanks for calling in. When I talked to Dan Briette at the bottom, the former energy secretary, I asked him, why aren't we just going and drilling? Why aren't we going and just getting it? And his answer is actually very specific about why they can't. Even these 9,000 leases they keep talking about, he gives very specific answers as to why they can't go and get it. And uh, it's interesting because Saki's not going to tell you this. Biden's not going to tell you this. To answer your first question, which I think was rhetorical, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Why are we listening to Pelosi and Biden? Because Pelosi is the Speaker of the House and Biden is the President of the United States. 
whether we like it or not, he's 78, so whatever he is, 79, whatever he is, he's definitely, he's got age-related dementia, according to Ronnie Jackson, who is a doctor, and used to be the White House doctor, uh, and Nancy Pelosi's in her 80s. She looks different every time. She speaks differently every time. I don't know what the story is with Nancy Pelosi, but we have to listen to them because of the positions they hold, and they hold those positions because people keep voting them in. Um, the Joe Biden vote, that is a controversial vote. There is fraud that I can outline. What, now, and the, the answer always is because the media won't say there wasn't fraud. They'll say that well, there wasn't enough to change the outcome. That's what they'll say. And, of course, you look at Maricopa County, Arizona alone, and you've got tens of thousands of votes that should not have been counted. So I'm not sure how he won, if he won. Nancy Pelosi keeps on getting voted back in in San Francisco. Okay, I might have 30 seconds here. Do you know anything about San Francisco? Because Venice and, and Los Angeles, they aren't near San Francisco. Do you know anything about that town? Absolutely. San Francisco is one of the dirtiest places in the country. Why do they keep it voting is, her in? Uh, because they are woke progressives who like to go with what they know. And there are actually four different women who are mostly the wives and daughters of millionaires and billionaires who uh, back all of the Democratic campaigns out there. So there's a lot of money that gets funneled into Nancy Pelosi it's and disgusting. Uh, that institution. It doesn't make any sense to me because she's done nothing for her district. I don't think she even lives in the district. And, and at the end of the day, you've got homelessness. You've got people suffering in the streets, people pooping in the streets. You can't even go and visit San Francisco anymore. And it's just crazy to me. Do me a favor and give me the story of Chernobyl because I didn't understand why Russia targeted Chernobyl because it's not active. But you say that, we well, actually, you wrote about this in the Daily Caller. Yeah, that there's a reason why they did this. Fill me in. So I didn't actually get to write about this in the article. Uh, I I think I'm saving it for another. But uh, one of the sort of concerns over the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which, you know, most people know it is defunct. There was a uh, a massive meltdown there back in the 1980s. Um, But essentially, it's sort of uh, being seen as a potential... Russian operation to either create a dirty bomb or create a dirty bomb and blame it on Ukraine. It's sort of one of those strategic centers that, uh, and this is the other thing, like before I even get into that, it's Chernobyl has actually been held since the night of the first invasion. So February 23rd, about 210 technicians and uh, members of staff at the plant went into work for what was supposed to be a regular shift like a night shift and they've been held there for about 500 hours about three weeks ever since so they're keeping this place safe um but it is obviously a source of huge nuclear waste and radioactivity and quite could quite easily be co-opted into um any kind of uh yeah dirty bomb or worse it jumped out at me okay that they went there immediately and and it scared me because of whatever might still be there we have no idea what's still there being all the way over here i didn't even know that chernobyl was in ukraine to be honest with you it was in the soviet union when it melted down obviously but i didn't know what the story was but they're holding the staff you know uh, as hostage and i'm not really sure what the end game will be so i asked bruyette about it because you told me about the story earlier and uh, we get we get some more interesting answers from him uh, as to why they would target that why would they target uh, kiev or kiev whatever we're calling it um and and also how did he leave the energy department yesterday a guy called in and said fox news said that we're we're actually producing more oil today than we did when trump left office i asked dan bruyette is that true he's a guy who would know here's a hint it's not true keep it here coming back this is the joe pag show
Thanks a lot for coming along for the ride. I really appreciate you being here. And I really thank this guy for being back as well. The the final energy secretary under President Donald Trump. It's Dan Bruyette. We've had Dan on plenty of times. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing? I'm living the dream, although it's costing me more money to drive down the road, and nobody likes that. And it's funny because left and right can agree we don't want to pay more for gasoline, Dan. And uh, and we immediately look to the government, and then the government blames oil co- uh, oil industries, and then the government blames oil-rich countries, then the government blames the bad actors on the earth, because nobody can really argue that Putin's a bad guy. So let's really get basic about this. You know how kind of dumb I am. So if we get simple and basic, maybe we can actually get some answers. When Trump left office, when you left office, I remember Trump saying, if you want to add a regulation, you got to get rid of two. That made a lot of sense to me. So we took the chains off. We took the, the tether off of the oil industry and said, go and find it. God gave it to us. We might as well go and get it and become energy independent, which we did, to become a net exporter, which we did. I'm now hearing the left say, we're, we're now producing more oil than we ever have in the United States. Dan, is that true? Uh, no, I don't think that's act- actually true, uh, Joe. When I left office in 2021, January of 21, uh, the United States, uh, and, and this was a bit uh, off just because of the pandemic, but there were points in time when I was in office that we were producing about 13 million barrels per day of crude oil here in the United States, so much so that we had begun exporting crude oil from the United States to allies across the world. So, um, you know, today's numbers were somewhere around 11, maybe 11 and a half. We might be even getting close to 12 at this point. But uh, it's not an accurate statement to suggest that we are producing the, the most oil we've ever produced here in the United States. I've often wondered about this, and I've asked you about this before, and you always give me, give me a very straight answer. Why do we have to deal with OPEC? Why do we have to deal with cartels? If we're a net oil exporter, if we have enough oil, we're en- energy independent, why can't we just stop exporting it, adding it to the world market, and just take care of ourselves? Hey, you guys deal with what you're going to deal with. We'll take care of ourselves. We're good. Well, you could do that, Joe. I mean, I would caution, though, if we if we ban the exports, for instance, from the United States, it means that we're stuck with the market that we have here in the United States. And as long as we continue to grow the economy and grow the, the market size, then we'll continue to see production here in the United States. But you just want to be careful that when you ban, if you ban exports, for instance, you don't limit the size of your market at that point, because then we'll start to see production fall off. And uh, we find ourselves right back into the situation we perhaps saw in the 70s, where you're importing oil. But the bottom line is that, you know, the, the lifting of the ban of exports of crude oil that Congress did, I don't know, perhaps six, seven, eight years ago now, I'm getting old, <laughs> um, you know, was a good decision because what it did was it incited, you know, industry, it, it catalyzed industry to begin the production that we, we, have, uh, we have seen over the course of the last few years. And that's right. been good for consumers all around. So, um you know, I think it's important. Uh, OPEC is a, is a cartel. It's a player in the marketplace. We're going to have to deal with them. I think their strength has been uh, diminished over the years because of the production here in the United States. And I think we ought to continue that trend. Well, Dan, I don't want to ban exporting oil. That's not what I meant. Maybe I didn't word it properly. Right. If we have enough oil to take care of our needs, and we're refining it here in the Gulf Coast and, other, and in other places, um, <laughs> let, let's keep what we need. Let's not get any from OPEC. Let's not let them set the price. And if, you, if we want to export what we have left, let the oil come companies make more money, let our GDP really you know, do well because of that. Why not take care of ourselves without worrying about Iran and Venezuelan oil being involved, or Russian oil being involved in what sets the market price? I mean, we're begging Saudi Arabia to make more, and they won't return Joe Biden's call. So if we have enough here, you, you, you see what I mean? Why deal with no, the absolutely. bad actors and then make some money off of our surplus? No, absolutely. And that's the role the United States has played for the last few years. Okay. Uh, when I was in office, it was very clear that the United States was the swing producer. 
So if OPEC cut oil production, for instance, our producers here in Texas and elsewhere could increase production and, and offset those losses. We set the market price, if you will, simply by being able to produce the amount of oil that we were producing. So as we think about what you know government policy is today and perhaps what it should be tomorrow, anything that diminishes that ability, our ability to produce here in the United States, is going to negatively impact consumers, not only here, but all around the world. It's Dan Bruyette. He's the former Energy Secretary of the United States of America, the last Energy Secretary under President Trump. Uh, let me ask you about the Keystone XL pipeline. Yes, the left is right. Keystone pipeline's done. Keystone XL pipeline, they stopped. Um, the Alberta Premier said last week, Dan, that if we started production or started construction again today, it would be ready to go first quarter next year. If I use my math right, if I, if I go back a year, if we never stopped, it would be available today. That's 800,000 plus barrels a day of friendly oil from Canada instead of relying on five, six, seven hundred thousand barrels from Russia or now Venezuela or Iran. Is that true? If we restarted the construction today, it would be ready by early next year. And had we never stopped, we'd be using it now. Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be true. I mean, I'm not intimate with the construction details of the pipeline itself. I mean, there's engineering impacts, there's all sorts of things there. But I think the trend line that you just articulated is is correct. Um, you know, without negative signals from the U.S. government or the environmental regulators or litigation or, you know, the legal community, uh, you would probably have seen the completion of that pipeline. I think importantly, Joe, what, what's important for us to recognize uh, are the psychological impacts of these types of decisions. Right. When you deny these permits or you uh, deny the ability to construct this important, critical infrastructure that allows this product to get to market, you send a signal not only throughout you know that little that world if you will the the world right around that pipeline you send it to the entire industry and you send it to the entire world and those are the impacts that we're seeing today uh, by some of the more recent governmental policies Dan Bruyette, former Energy Secretary, United States of America. Follow him at Dan underscore Bruyette over on uh, on Twitter. We really appreciate the knowledge and the time. AOC and a few others have now said th- this is the oil industry profiteering. They don't want to use the nine thousand leases that are available, Dan, because they're making so much money on a on a on a barrel of oil right now. I mean, I'm not a dumb guy. I used to make pizzas for a living, and if I sold more pizzas, I made more money. So if I had more stuff available to sell to people, I would make more money. I would think it would be profiteering to get as much oil as, oil as you could and sell as much as you possibly could. Of those 9,000 leases, I'm starting to hear rumors that the federal regulators aren't allowing for drilling. So you can go and research and develop. You just, you just can't drill. And a lot of these appear to be barren, like there's nothing even there. What do you know about these 9,000 leases? Yeah, it's a very misleading number, Joe. I mean, you're exactly right. Because you have a lease, because you have a, you know, a lease on a piece of property doesn't mean that you actually have a permit to drill for oil on it. Right. And you may not have capital or financing to drill for oil on it. And that's only the beginning of the story. So because you have a piece of property that you're paying rent on and you might one one day want to drill on it, you also need permits perhaps to build a road to get to the place where you want to drill. You're certainly going to need a permit for a pipeline to get the product off of the property and into the marketplace. You're going to need a ton of other permits from EPA and Fish and Wildlife and all sorts of other uh, agencies throughout the federal government and the state government. So to make the simple statement that there are these leases available, 9,000 leases out there, no one's using them. It's a very misleading statistic and a very misleading narrative. And where I pay for gas, Dan, it was a dollar higher 
before the Ukraine-Russia thing even started. It was a dollar higher already. Why did we see an increase in the price at the, at the gas pump before we knew anything about Russia's plans with Ukraine? Was it about shutting down federal leases? No more federal lands can be used? I mean, Joe Biden literally said that in the debates and on the campaign trail. I'm going to shut down fossil fuels. We're going to shut down the oil industry. We're going to, we're going to stop any new or any drilling that's going on right now on federal lands. We're going to stop that too. He said he was going to do all that. And then gas prices went up by a dollar. Is that really Putin's fault? <laughs> well, uh, no, I don't think it's Putin's fault. I, I think there are a number of factors here that go even beyond the Biden administration. So when you see uh, finance uh, companies, banks, uh, private equity firms, in essence, make public announcements that they're not going to lend money to the fossil fuel industry, what you've done is, again, that psychological impact. You created a sense of scarcity that there won't be this product available in the future. So you start to see the prices begin to rise. It's that type of impact that I think sometimes uh, is missing both in Washington and perhaps in state capitals even. But it's important to recognize that all of these things have an impact on the marketplace and sometimes positive, but often negative. And today, I think as consumers, we're seeing more negative than positive. Because it's a futures market, uh, when Biden said he would do that and then he wins the election, did that automatically mean prices were going up because the oil industry said, hey, we're going to lose a lot of this access. He's going to be going after us. We're now the villains. We're now the enemy. Does that automatically make it go up? It, it, it could have had an impact. I'm not going to su- suggest it didn't. Uh, there's no question about that. Those, you know, those types of things do matter in a campaign and, and the industry and other players do pay attention to those types of comments. So people are making calculated bets, whether they're going to get permits for roads, whether they're going to get permits for pipelines, whether they're going to get permits to drill, uh, whether they're going to be lease sales even available uh, to do any of this activity. So they're they're making calculated risks. The good news, though, Joe, is that this is easily turned around. Um, You know, it's unfortunate uh, and just incredibly heartbreaking to see the news coming out of Ukraine and Russia. Um, I hope that these events, I hope that these world events uh, provide us with a catalyst to look at energy policy here in the United States, perhaps a little differently than we have. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about renewable technologies. We all support that. We all think it's a good idea. Right. And the reason we think it's a good idea, Joe, is just very simple. If you look back at the history of the United States, you look back at the history of the world. In every case, there's never been a transition away from a certain energy source. So, the, you know, the notion that we're having an energy transition away from fossil fuels to renewables, forget that. We've always had a transition that has gone from less energy to more energy right. in every case. So we've gone from wood to more energy sources like coal, gas, nuclear, you name it. But it's always been additive, and we've always added more energy. And why? Because we want to grow our economy, because we want our economies to get bigger, and we're going to need energy to do it. Former Energy Secretary Dan Bruyette, you made deals with the EU. Rick Perry made deals with the EU for LNG, for oil, to stop taking Russia's oil, shut down uh, Nord Stream 2, which Biden just allowed them to start constructing it again. Um, When you have all those deals going, yesterday Perry told me that there were six, I think he said it was six contracts on the desk of the Energy Secretary right now that just need to be signed with some of our friendly countries overseas for LNG, and we're just not doing it. Do you have any idea why? You know, I don't know why, but the, the former secretary, Secretary Perry, a great friend of both you and I, yeah. uh, he's absolutely correct. I mean, there's there are permits sitting on the Secretary of Energy's desk today that would allow for the export of LNG from the United States to some of our allies. 
And uh, these are permits that have gone through all of the regulatory processes. So they've received their environmental impact statements. They've received their environmental assessments. They have what, is, what are known as final FERC orders, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, okay. final orders from that commission. All that's left to do is sign the permit and authorize the export of this natural gas over to Europe. So um, it's an easy task for the secretary to do. I would urge her and hope that she would do it very soon. Is there any tangible reason why we wouldn't do that? I mean, I thought I thought natural gas was better in the eyes of some than oil, petroleum oil. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to the extent this natural gas is, is uh, supplanting in the marketplace more carbon-intense fuels, it meets the environmental goals that the the administration says are very important to them, and many of our allies in Europe have said are very important to them. So it, it has that purpose. But right now, Joe, just given the events, given the geopolitical events in Europe, it provides energy security to our allies, to Germany, to France, to other parts of Europe, to the Polish in particular, uh, the other former uh, USSR uh, satellite countries, right. you know, the Baltic nations. Uh, it, we, we can provide them with energy security, and that's why these permits are so important to be signed and signed quickly. Former Energy Secretary Dan Brew, yet the great uh, uh, secretary who did a wonderful job under Trump and, and really just always a straight shooter, and you really explain things so well. Let me ask you about nuclear in the time we have remaining, if you don't mind, because when we hear nuclear, we think about bombs. When we hear nuclear, we get scared because of Chernobyl. First of all, when you heard that Russia took over the Chernobyl site, did that give you pause? Were you worried about what they were trying to do or what they might do? And talk to me about, about nuclear energy. How safe is it? Uh, nuclear energy is very safe. Um, you know, uh, it, it's one of these things that is, uh, you know, because of Chernobyl, because of Three Mile Island here in the United States, yeah. because of Fukushima in Japan, uh, folks have a, an understandable fear of the technology, uh, but only understandable up to a point. It's important that we take a step back. We know so much more about nuclear technology than we, we did way back during the Manhattan Project when we were creating the bombs right. uh, for World War II. Uh, we're so much more advanced than that today, and, and I'm so proud of the work that Secretary Perry did, that I did at the department, uh, that allows us to move forward and develop additional fuels for nuclear sources that are completely ac accident tolerant and safe. Uh, so safe, in fact, that you can't see the type of accident accidents that we saw at Chernobyl. Okay. It literally is impossible. So I'm hopeful that as those new fuels come to market, as these smaller reactors come to market, uh, public acceptance of this important technology will continue to grow. Any idea, just an opinion, Dan, if you don't want to give one, that's fine, about why Russia would target that and go take it over? You know, it's a good question, Joe. I, I, there's nothing there. Uh, you know, the facility is, has been closed. Uh, it's been a number of years now. The radioactivity lev levels are still somewhat elevated relative to the the, the, the surrounding community, right. but it's not, in a, it's not in a place where it's dangerous to society. Um, I, I can't imagine that the Russians have anything to do there except perhaps cover up some some data or information they don't want the rest of the world okay. to see. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, Dan, I'll let you go. Give me 20 seconds if you don't mind. How do we how do we sure. start seeing gas prices go back down? Do we have to make a, a, a tangible, actual change in the United States, or will a friendly nation out there help us somehow to start bringing the price per barrel down again? It's a very simple equation, Joe. We just need to produce more, and we need to move regulators out of the way. We need to do sensible environmental regulation, but we need to get the finance community engaged. We need to get the environmental regulators to get a little bit more common-sense approach to production here in the United States. The industry stands willing. They stand ready. I can speak for Semper Infrastructure. We have desire. We have the will. We have the ability. Let us build. I don't think the administration is going to let us do that, but if you get back to the House and Senate, can they force their hand? 
the Congress is free to write the laws any way they see fit, okay. uh, as long as it's constitutional. So, yes, you could uh, potentially see some congressional direction if we don't begin to see some action out of the regulators. At Dan underscore Bruyette over on Twitter. He's a former energy secretary for the United States of America. Dan Bruyette. Dan, thanks so much for your friendship and the knowledge. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Great to be with you. All right, brother. We'll be back after this. Stay right here. You're listening to Joe Pags. All right, great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Dan Bruyette brings some information that you probably haven't heard anywhere else. We'll have a full story on this after the top of the hour, so make sure you stick around. But Jesse Smollett, uh, Smollett is out of jail, um, and we'll have that full story in a moment. But um, that's a story that's, that's breaking in the past probably 10, 15 minutes. I know that he was asking to get out while his appeal is heard or while his appeal is thought about. I don't even know if they've accepted an appeal. But uh, we'll have the full story. Okay, we'll have that after the top of the hour. In the meantime, got to tell you about Eden Pure. Eden Pure is a great product. If you haven't heard about this before, it's got something called Oxy Technology. It quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold, and more. People all over the nation are raving about how well the thunderstorm by Eden Pure freshens their homes. Musty, mildew, mildewy smells just vanish after just a few seconds with the thunderstorm being on. Over 200,000 already have been sold. You know that it works if it's selling that many, and any odor will disappear when you use this thunderstorm. Odors from litter boxes, trash cans, cigarette smoke, dirty diapers, and more are no match. You need to get one of these. You need to get three of these, actually. I'll tell you how in a second. No filters to buy either. You can save over $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm three-pack for the entire home protection. You're going to get three units for under $200. That's a fraction of the cost compared to other air purifiers. You can go for over $600. Put one in your basement, bedroom, family room, kitchen, anywhere you want to make it smell better. Okay, it's going to get rid of those odors. Listen to me. EdenPureDeals.com is the website. EdenPureDeals.com. Put in discount code PAGS3, the number three. Save $200. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code PAGS3. And shipping is free. All right, going to take a quick break here at the top. and give you a good long interview that gave you answers to questions that you have about oil, about gasoline, about energy, about nuclear, about the 9,000 leases that are, that are allegedly out there. We'll start the next hour with the Jesse Smollett latest, which the guy's out, which is stupid. And some of the reasons that we're hearing don't make logical sense. We'll talk about that. Plus, we've got Curtis Lee next hour, too. Keep it here. This is the Joe Pegg Show.